Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. Thank you for your patience. Uh, sometimes this happens. We have uh, to change schedules around. So I do appreciate everybody who has joined us today for the show. Um, if you are new to the channel, please hit that like button and consider subscribing. This is where I host guests um, who can give us their expertise about what's going on in education in America right now. I also do my own original content along those lines and provide support for families who are looking for alternatives to the institutions available to them. So please consider one of the many ways you can support the channel and let me introduce you to our guest today. Oh, forgot. I also have a locals community and a Substack. The reason we learn.locals.com and the reason we learn.substack.com. Sorry. So my guest today is a repeat guest on this uh, channel. This is Ryan Staley, and he is a former teacher, having taught many different subjects and was also a coach, um, I believe, at the uh, the college level, right? You were coaching. Is that Actually, correct? I've coached all the way from middle school all the way to Division One. OK, so. coach taught, yep. done, you know, a wide variety of things within the uh, the public system and knows it very, very well and has transitioned to researching and helping parents through parents for education, uh, parents for defending education. And um, he has been digging into what you've probably heard of referred to as ethnic studies curricula. There are districts in this country, primarily the West Coast, but it's spreading, that have now mandatory ethnic studies programs, courses, whole departments, etc. And Ryan would like to talk to us about why we as parents and taxpayers, etc., should be paying very close attention to these programs and not necessarily take them at face value. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. And sharing this information with us. Yeah, thanks, Deb. I appreciate you having me on, and, and especially in short notice and with you know life happening. So, um, <laughs> I appreciate you being here. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, what do we need to know? Oh gosh, wide open. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I want to give some credit, um, you know, anonymously credit to um, the community in California, especially the Jewish community. And I've had a couple of people that have been um, helping me through this process of learning. And I'm still learning a lot about um, the, the not just the ethnic studies, but what we're going to talk about is liberated ethnic studies. And then we'll get some vocabulary words out there so people can kind of get a better grasp on things. But the Jewish community um, really came together back about a year, year and a half ago. Well, the process was longer than that. But um, when the California Curriculum Committee started putting together an ethnic studies curriculum for the state, um, there was a whole conglomeration of people came together to develop this curriculum. And as it developed, the first iteration of it was very, very much filled with things like um, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist type of pieces, uh, very influenced by members of the, you know, let's say radical Palestinian type of, of background. Um, right. And so the Jewish community really came together um, like holistically and fought against that iteration of the ethnic studies program. Uh, they weren't against a general idea of ethnic studies, which I think most of us would, would have an understanding of you know, studying other cultures within America, um, understanding their lifestyles and, and, you know, and their past and their history. 
And, and I want to say up front that I agree with that. I have a minor in anthropology, especially South American studies. So I also, too, have a, a, a love and an affinity for, for other cultures and, and history in, in, in general. Um, but that's not what this is about. So what, the first thing I want to do is set the stage with their own words from their own textbook of these radicals that are pushing this agenda into California schools. And then we'll come back and I'll, I'll give a little bit more historical context to the ethnic studies. But um, it says ethnic studies is both uh, about the criti critique of unequal power and the reclamation of power by marginalized and oppressed communities. In this way, the term ethnic studies itself is an example of one such reclamation. We've taken the word ethnic back, flipped the old meaning on its head, and are using it to build a movement that focuses on anti-racist and decolonizing uh, curriculum and teaching. A term of oppression has been transformed into a term of potential liberation. So I know there's a lot of language in there, and we'll, we'll kind of help help people that are not as familiar with those some of those words clarify right. it okay so let's go back historically a little bit there are members of this liberated ethnic studies group so let's let's define it out right we have liberated ethnic studies which i would say are the more radicals and then you have the ethnic studies group which are going to be more of a traditional study of of ethnic cultures okay i'd say traditional in the in the american sense i guess all right so um, can I ask a question? No, yeah, no, please, always. Oh, okay. So it sounded to me when you were reading like they were presuming that people using the word ethnic before them, like any the, the more traditional ethnic studies curriculum developers were using ethnic as a pejorative, or that's what they, it seems like they'd like us to believe mm -hmm. that it was sort of a, a, a term of, you know, they use words like oppression, but a term of like, oh, not white, like, you know, in, in a negative, not neutral. Right. And so it, it seems like one of the goals that they have is to create the impression in people's minds that that word had to be saved in the first place. In other words, that it was sort of negatively manifesting and they had to turn around to be a positive. There's no neutral. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's no neutral here. And then they add the word liberated and it's my impression, and you've been doing all this research, tell me if this makes sense, that when you see the word liberated, liberation, that kind of thing, that's one of the code words telling you, like, I should probably pay attention. There seems like there might be some Marxism here. Like, the concept of liberation implies oppression. Oppression, we start getting into power dynamics. Now we're in the Marxist realm. Is that fair it's to say? Correct. In, in our current okay. environment, anytime people see liberation or liberated, I hate to say this, but you're going to have to assume that you're dealing with some some um, deviation of Marxism. And we're not dealing right. with we're not dealing with old school Marxism of, of, you know, bourgeois and proletariat. We're not talking financial. We're talking down the line, um, a reiteration of a Marxian background, like a base that goes into I, I know people we're going to get uh, to, you know, too academic here, but like Gramsci with his. Um, cultural Marxism, right? Where you, or Marcuse, where he starts to talk about, well, we need to use race as the, as the proletariat and the, and the white. So, so marginal, think this way, marginalized voices are the proletariat, white people, and sometimes Asians are the bourgeois. And, and, and that's, right. so if you want to jump to that angle, when you listen to what we're talking about here, 
you have to put yourself in that mindset. Whiteness, white supremacy, and to these people, the American culture is bourgeois culture. And that the marginalized voices, by the way, a lot of these people come from the Chicano movement. So the Latino movement, and we'll get into that a little bit later because that's important. Um, so they see themselves as the proletariat. Um, they're, they're the oppressed. So if you're talking about Paulo Freire, the, 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 education, the highly influential educator from the 1960s, who is the, one of the most cited authors in education literature, um, mm -hmm. he termed everything in terms of oppressor and oppressed. OK, um, and so when you listen to this information, read this information, or if you see liberated or liberation, you have to start thinking in that dynamic of the oppressor and the oppressed or proletariat and the bourgeois. And it's just it's just a, a change in that in that um, who is what. Right. So coming back to the ethnic studies stuff and your point about about the traditional ethnic studies idea versus liberated ethnic studies is, is the same idea that we're getting with SEL, social emotional learning versus transformative social emotional learning, because that's what they're doing with that as well. It's the same, same dynamic. Social emotional learning is whiteness. It is bourgeois. Okay. And then transformative is the liberated social emotional learning. It is the one that, that is the, for the proletariat run by the well, proletariat. That's fascinating because as I've pointed out on the channel before, the original SEL uh, was more about um, remediation. It was reactive, not proactive. It was dealing with individuals to help them be better individuals mm -hmm. and help them cope with their individual you know, issues and so forth. And even to the extent it was proactive, it was still focusing on you, the individual child person, et cetera. And then it's been moving steadily towards more collectivist social justice. Correct. Now it's explicitly collectivist. The transformative takes it a step farther and the collectivism is now a foregone conclusion, but it's not enough to be in a group. Now you must be an activist fighting Correct. for liberation for the group. Well, and I don't know how fluid you want to be with this conversation because you're bringing stuff up that that I don't know if we have a timeline for any of this. But but if you want to jump to that with the individualism versus collectivism, because um, part of this curriculum, because they, they have a curriculum and it's in this textbook. OK, part of the curriculum that's literally and, and we'll, let's let's remember to get to an actual case scenario that I write about um, sure. a school district. Part of the curriculum is what what Freire termed love, but people have to remember have to know that it's not a romantic love. It's not a love of my child. It's you know it is a love. Uh, a lot of this is inverse, by the way. A lot of so invert your thinking on things. This curriculum and Freire talk about radical love, and radical love is that. In order to love somebody, you have to collectively join them in their liberation of oppression. Okay, so for example, we're white people. We will never understand what it means to be oppressed according to these individuals, but we can be their ally, if that sounds familiar. And we can stand with them in solidarity, but it's not good enough to ju not just be racist, right? You have to be anti-racist. In this case, you have to be anti-oppressor. So you have to be actively committed to helping them be liberated. And that's love. 
And so they're, what they've done with that is if you're not actively helping them become liberated, you're not loving them. You see how that works? And so you, so if you're not, is there a bridge too far? I mean, at, at what point does the love become self-sacrifice in the literal sense? I, I don't, they don't get to that. So that's, but I mean, question. I just, you know, we, 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 you know, on the, on the far end of the scale, you have reparations, right? Like, well, you don't love me if you don't pay me. And then on the other side of it, you might, you know, somewhere down, it might be, you don't love me if you don't give me your property like house or well, your town correct, or correct. The school or the curriculum or whatever. And then because these kinds of progressive things have a tendency to not go, okay, thanks. We're done. <laughs> yep. I think people need to understand that this could go all the way to, you don't love me if you don't let me have power over you and control over your life and tell you what to do because. Does, and, and doesn't that kind of sound like textbook abuser? Yeah. Just that's just, exactly I mean, what it is. Yeah. So let's let's yeah, do exactly. so. So let's jump a little bit along those lines. Let's stay there for a minute. I know I told you there's a lot here. Um, no, I mean it's not that it's a lot. It's just it. it I, I mean, the hard. It, and I'm sure this is really hard for you too. When you spend a lot of time researching these topics, and so you know, you come on, you start talking to me, you start to develop a, it's like any other thing that you get used to a language you get used to listening mm -hmm. to. It's almost like it, being immersed in, you know, a foreign language like Spanish or something. Suddenly, even though you may not be able to speak it fluently, you can understand it really pretty well because you've been immersed in it. Yeah. So what's frustrating for me, as I'm sure it is for you, is I can immediately grasp onto this and go, this is a big problem. But I also know we have to break it down for the audience here. You will. Right. I'm just here, but you know, so that they can have the same appreciation for how serious this is. Right. Well, so it's yeah. my, is more like, okay, how do we translate right. this foreign language? You so know? let's, let's give an, I want to give an example that's actually explicitly in their lesson planning. Okay. And, and, and you have to not think short term. These people are think they've been thinking long term, right? Um, so let's focus there. And then, you know, I think a historical piece to this is gonna be important. So in their lesson planning for pre-K, and I have these lesson plans, I have model lesson plans um, that school districts may or may not use, but these people are teaching school districts, okay, and teachers. In their model lesson plans, every lesson plan starts off with a land acknowledgement, okay? And for those that may not be familiar with a land acknowledgement, it is a recognition in, like, like saying the pledge, the class starts by saying the Pledge of Allegiance, but in this case, it's a it's a land acknowledgement to the native indigenous tribes of the land that that school is on. Okay, so for example, if um, you know somebody's in a certain part of California, there was a, historically a certain tribe that inhabited that land. There, they have a website that links to what who has what. Now, think about this with the you know kind of that that that. Um, incremental abusive love, right? Their, their idea of love. If you start with pre-K and over 16 years, because they talk about K through 16, they don't talk mm -hmm. about K through 12. They're going all the way. So they're going through, all the way to college. All the way to the end of college, like uh, right. traditional college, right? If, if for 16 years, you're doing land acknowledgements, you're setting people up in their mind, in the back of their mind, that at some point when you say, well, if you don't give that land back, you don't love me. And all of a sudden they become activists to demand that that land gets given back. 
Now, some right. people might say, well, you're using hyperbole and speculation. I hope so. I hope I'm being speculative here. And, that, and it's just it's a bunch of a bunk and hogwash. Um, right. I will tell you that I reached out to um, uh, an individual on Twitter who is deeply Native American. And I asked that individual about the land acknowledgement piece. And there's a divide, at least, within the Native, uh, Native community. Because this individual does not support land acknowledgements because they know most of the time it's garbage. These people aren't giving the, that land back. They're just doing it for um, virtue signaling. Yeah, it's like oh. genuflecting. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean anything. They're just right. doing it. So I think your bridge too far piece is founded because, mm -hmm. because the, to me, that's what I see that potentially playing out is that right. the land acknowledgement is a buildup to a future where they go in and say, you, do you, if you really mean this, you're really going to give us this land back. Right. right. And so um, that's just the start of this where they um, they, they build into this. Let's let's go. Um, I I'm careful to use this word. And I think we have to define the word groomer because it's so popular in our in our current discourse. Right. Right. Um, mm -hmm. When when I use the word grooming or groomer in this very explicit context, I'm not talking pedophile. Okay, let's 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 take it to a cult level, like a Jim mm. Jones, right, and People's Temple right. level. In right. fact, I contend not to sidebar too much, but I've actually put Jim Jones on my research template along with this stuff. To be honest with you, whether or not it connects, I don't know, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. But he was in that part of the country involved with those same type of people. We're talking yeah. 1960s radicals who dropped their radical garb put on shirts and ties and went into the universities, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Marxists. You know, Marcuse was a, was a, was a type of Marxist. He wasn't, a, you know, and so forth. And they, they taught Angela Davis. Now Angela Davis is being held up by the educational community, right? Um, so these people that we're talking about with liberated ethnic studies were trained by those 1960s radicals that everybody thought just disappeared, but they didn't. They learned that the, the, the way to get this done was to go through the colleges of ed. And I know that you've probably talked about that plenty in the past, but the colleges of ed are the vehicle for all of this stuff. And I mean, to a T, a lot of these people went into the colleges of ed. They didn't go into necessarily, you know, physics or math, although maybe a couple here or there, but it was the colleges of ed they went through. And that's where all of this stuff is coming out of all of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so we talked about radical love. We talk about grooming in the context of the cult. Okay. And that's where the radical love piece comes in as well, is that, you know, they're, they're, they're grooming these kids in their ideology so that they can become activists. Right. right. So we, um, do you mind if, um, do you mind if I just quickly touch on, what the typical grooming behaviors are for oh, a cult. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that parents can understand, um, or people in general, they're very similar to the behaviors of somebody trying to pull you into an abusive relationship. You start off with something that what you might call love bombing. So, you know, there's a lot of effusive praise. There's a lot of labeling. It could be positive praise. It could be like, you'd be so great a person if you did X, Y, Z. So there is, 
an Im immediate establishment of intimacy, of some kind of emotional intimacy that comes way too fast and furious if you're really thinking about it, but little kids don't really think about it. Um, so there's a lot of that. Then you move on from there to a kind of a devaluation phase where um, either the, the target of the grooming is themselves devalued or something important to them is. Now with these children, there's a triangulation where they try to devalue their family, their parents. They try to instill doubt in their, their, the trusted caregivers, the reality check at home so that they kind of bond more with the person who's trying to groom them and start to mistrust outside influences. They want to separate you. And like I said, just like an abusive relationship, want to separate you from anybody who could put you off what's happening to you and remind you who you actually are. And then once that has been established where it's pretty firm that you are now rejecting any outside influences, you're solidly in line, then typically what happens is much more on the side of the devaluation, the if you really love me, you'll do X. Yep. If you don't do X, you don't really love me. Start getting this kind of coercive language, threats, threats of cancellation and being an outcast, uh, accusations of being a bad person, so that the goal then is to get back to where you felt all loved and warm and fuzzy and perfect, except you never can. And that's where the activism comes in, is that's this chasing the dragon feeling of like, I will be acceptable again to this group that I've now bonded myself to. And the really scary thing, and especially when you're starting in pre-K, is, I mean, it's, as, it's hard when adults get pulled into these relationships, even on a one-on-one -on -one basis and have the ability to come and go. Now, imagine you're a child and you lack capacity for reason in the first place, which has to be taught. And you're all the other things, the, there's nothing to replace it or fill it up, even if you can get out of it. So if the, you were going through this for five, six, 10 years, whatever, even if somehow you realize this person isn't treating you well, you have nothing to go back to. Right. Let's, you missed and, and your let's, whole childhood. And, and perfect. Let's segue into a big piece. First, the radical love piece is actually their last piece of the curriculum. Like they have like four core units. Radical love is their, their final core part of their, of their processing. Right. right. Um, I want to focus um, based on what you just said about the, the separation from the family at home. One of their core core foundational values is challenging what they call um, hegemony. And, and so what we'll, we'll use the word normal or normalcy. Okay. Right. So let's, let's, let's slowly define things um, just so we're all on the same page. When they talk about normalcy, they're talking about Western civilization. They're talking about enlightenment. They're talking about um, what they common language right now, white supremacy, whiteness, um, you know, a European lifestyle. Okay, so that's what they mean when they say normal. They're saying the, the normal estate of affair in America today is normal. They see that normalcy as oppressive. They see it as a colonizer ideology. In fact, these people talk about 1492. They don't talk about 1619. So they're trying to one up, you know, Nicole Hannah Jones or whatever they're trying to do with that. But so normalcy is important here. They one of the things I highlight in the article that we're waiting to get published in all other pieces, they have a series of lesson plans that goes from pre-K all the way up to seniors in high school. So they, they differentiate pre-K to second grade, third grade to six, seven to twelve. They're all in a line 
with challenging normalcy. And then, of course, they, they, they scaffold it as it goes up. Okay. And the whole lesson plan is designed to teach kids to challenge what is normal. Okay. And so really what the ideology or what they're trying to do is they're trying to, as you said, sever the bonds between home and school so that these kids go home and they say, well, my teacher said that, that, you know, our lifestyle is bad because it's normal and it, and it promotes being oppressive to Susie at school because Susie's a marginalized voice. Right. And, and the kids will, I guarantee you, the kids are going to start using that language. And parents are going to like, what are you talking about? Um, so these lesson plans, to go to your point about, about the radical love piece, at the end of the, I think it's the third grade to sixth grade lesson plan, the homework, the ongoing assignment the rest of the year, or if we want to use like Marxist type language, the praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S, the praxis part of this is that those third graders have to call out anybody they see doing something normal during the school day. That is literally in that lesson plan, that they're encouraging these kids to call out their neighbors when they do or say something that's quote unquote normal. That sounds just like Maoism. It's very that sounds much. exactly yeah. like it. Can I ask another question? Um, the um, You mentioned how they're telling the kids to challenge normalcy and challenge, you know, what some people call the status quo or whatever. I've had some people ask me in all sincerity, well, isn't that teaching critical thinking? Is it, Why is that bad? I mean, shouldn't we question norms? Shouldn't we be sure that we're not just like mindlessly doing things? But I want to be very clear. First of all, the time frame that Ryan's talking about pre-K all the way through, you know, if you start there, ask yourself, have the children had a chance to question that the teacher's definition of normal is actually what is. In other words, they're doing both sides of this coin. They're telling the children what the current state in the United States is without them having any frame of reference because they're like preliterate when they begin. Mm -hmm. And they're defining it all as bad. There's no opportunity for the child to use their own knowledge or even inquiry to figure out if the teacher is correct that what is is oppressive. They just state it as a fact. Then we move to now we have to challenge that thing I just told you was bad. So no, it's not critical thinking. And they will use the word critical to fool you into thinking, you know, active thinking or rational thinking. When they use the word critical, they don't mean what I just said. So if you're inclined to think what's so wrong with that, remember the children are not experts yet in what is. Mm -hmm. And most rational thinking people don't go diving into dismantling and critiquing and tearing down and even challenging what a state of something is until they really understand it. Right. Because then I, you don't know what you're challenging. I, I think I, I, in my experience, when people hear critical thinking and they're not they're not versed with the, the background that you and I and others have developed, they think of my junior year in high school. I read you know, I read Communist Manifesto. And I read Plato and I read Adam Smith. And, and that was just my world history course, right? That we, we studied and then we would derive out of those, you know, an actual critical thinking, right? Where we, okay, which one is the best avenue? Which one, you know, and so on and so forth, right? But we're, we're, we're not even talking about that. We're not even talking about teaching 1770s, you know, 1776 um, project and the 1619 project, right? Or we're not, we're not, we're not having 
seniors in high school sit down and debate those two, right? Like, well, well, what do you think? That that to me, and I don't know about you, but that to me is is teaching kids critical thinking that they have to argue for both and against both. Right. 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 So so when when these people or neither or just at least be exposed. Yeah. Correct. Right. 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 So, and here what they're saying whenever parents, so like the word liberation, parents or anyone, when you hear the word, whether it's critical thinking coming out of the mouths of educators, be very skeptical. And when you hear the word challenge, right, challenge or anything along those lines, it doesn't mean challenge the way you might have thought in a positive context. Is just that was kind of what I wanted to get to. Mm -hmm. I hate to keep interrupting you like this, and I'm going to get feedback no, from people good. that say, stop interrupting your guests. But I, it's really easy to kind of start thinking, you know, what a word means like challenge yeah. and then Ryan would keep talking and somebody might say, well, so what it's school, you're supposed to challenge things. You're supposed to be challenged. What's wrong with that? So I felt like I had to backtrack a little bit and explain to people that you have to have prior knowledge, really understand something before you can challenge it. Otherwise you're not really challenging anything. You're just being indoctrinated into a, a new belief. <clears throat> Well, and let's, and, and, and if I'm repeating stuff, I apologize, but let's, let's clarify too that right now in this moment in education, you also see the word critical. You're going to kind of have to assume that it's, that it's a, it's a Freerian Marxian mm -hmm. type of yep. background. And, and by the way, there are a lot of good teachers that they think the way that the traditional person does with critical thinking, and they have no idea there's that, that dubious double meaning behind it and they're being duped. Right. So we want to make sure that, you know, just because you might hear your teacher, your child's teacher say critical thinking and your brain is like, well, what kind of critical thinking are you meaning? It, they may still think old school like we well, we, yeah, we want our kids to be able to problem solve. In fact, Freer didn't like problem solving. OK, and, and I don't have it in front of me. It, it skipped my brain a little bit, but he has a different salute. He has a different take on problem solving. Um and, and it's, it's basically, again, the inverse. Um, so so um, the normalcy piece is um, you have to start thinking it's whiteness. So I want you to think about that. So we had the Smithsonian back in 2020 put out that document of all the behaviors that were considered whiteness, right? Yeah. Being on time and work ethic and all these other things. And then, of course, they they removed it after the outrage, but it's actually still there. Not not so much the graphic, but that information is still there. Mm -hmm. Think of their definition of normalcy equals whiteness. It is whiteness. They just they'd love to flip the words around. They love to 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 make those words. So let's I'm going to give you another um, lesson plan example of how they do this at the school level. So they have a third grade lesson called um, Julian is a mermaid. Now, it's based on the book. Julian is a mermaid. And I've talked with some people who are very much in our kind of on our viewpoint of all this stuff. And they've read the Julian is a mermaid picture book. And, it, and they like it's a cute book. It's a cute book. But just like anything, they take things and they modify it to how they want it to come out. Right. So in 10 years ago, this book probably went to bed at just a cute, you know, rainbow fish type of picture book. No one would have thought book. twice. Well, I know. I <laughs> Sorry. It's we gotta have, we gotta laugh a little bit, right? Um, I know. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, but but go you ahead. get my point, right? It's no, it's, no. It's just a story about a little yeah, boy who wanted wants to, be, to a be a mermaid. I mean, Triton was a mermaid, right? Depending on your your folklore and and, and so mythology, yeah, right, right. So it doesn't bother me. 
But what they do is they use that lesson to talk about queering and transgender and challenging what is normal. Why can't Julian be a mermaid? You know, because what they do is they project and, and they say this in here. I've, I've got it written down in, in places in, in, in my studies. They project onto other people like you did earlier with ethnic studies. They project onto you and me behaviors that we may not have even engaged in. Right. So they automatically assume that, well, you know, why can't Ju Julian, who's a male, be a mermaid? I, I didn't say that. You didn't say that. We didn't. I mean, you know, who cares? Kind of really. But they use that as another lesson for the kids to challenge what is normal. And again, back up a step. What is normal in our society to them is whiteness. It is this idea that comes out of. So let's let's build up a little bit of of. Um, of background here, they're they're orthodox Freireans. They're trying to be as orthodox to Paulo Freire and their their other ideology pieces, but very much they're trying to stay true to Freire's stuff. So with Paulo Freire, um, he was a teacher. He was working with adults. Uh, you know, um, in, in fact, James Lindsay tweeted about this last night in a thread that. Everything Paulo Freire did was first and foremost with adults. And then he assumed he could just apply it to children. Right. right? Um, and so he's working with adults and he sees that, well, they're oppressed by, and, and, and we're talking South America, 1960s. It was not a good place, right? In general. So he may have had some very legitimate critiques of things going on, but vehemently disagree with his solutions. I mean, he would sleep with Karl Marx underneath his pillow. He would have, um, you know, pretend conversations with Karl Marx. He was very steeped in Gramsci and a lot of the a lot of the original Marxist and social, Mar you know, uh, socialist thinkers of the 1960s and so forth. So he develops this this pedagogy, which we call critical pedagogy, and in it he has a um, an um, he develops what he calls. Uh, conscientiousation, and, and I'm not going to say that the Brazilian, it's easier to write than it is to say, but here's a general idea. First, you have to develop a critical consciousness in the kids. So here's that critical word again. So what is a critical consciousness? You're making the kids aware that the world they live in is a bunch of oppressors and an oppressive systemic racist state. That America I love how they is say making them aware. Yeah. Like it was always there and they just, that's where woke comes from, right? They were right. asleep and didn't notice it. And this is a technique, as I mentioned earlier, this is a technique they use, uh, the critical pedagogues. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that is they state something as a fact that is at best a faith-based belief, right? It's an opinion uh -huh. slash belief. So you want to go there example, next? <laughs> yeah, we can. But okay. I want but but again, it's one of those things I think it's really important for the audience to understand that saying what I'm saying does not translate to there's no oppression in the world. Right. It doesn't translate to that there aren't some people that, you know, behave badly. What it means is that telling a child that the total state of the world and the people in it is what they say it is is not a statement of fact. 
And yet that's exactly how they approach it. So what you'll find is in a lot of the statements from your kids' schools and their equity policies and every place you look is this rhetorical technique where we state that something is so that's bad, mm -hmm. right? Like, like uh, white supremacy or the racist nature, the systemic racist, whatever. And the net effect of that is it puts you on the defensive. You, there's no evidence supplied for the statement, but yet for you to challenge it will make you sound bad. Right. You'll sound like a mean person, a racist, a person who likes oppression. They, they set up a straw man argument before you even start. That's something that Paulo Freire was like excellent at. The world is is false dichotomy, false dichotomy, this or that, this yep. or that. There is no, you're racist, you're anti-racist. There's no in between. Correct. So look for the false dichotomy in the language of the, your kid's school and don't let yourself be sucked into it. Right. That's just a little tiny tidbit of advice. But that's something I heard when you said that. You know, critical, conscious that the world is. No, conscious that they think the world is. Right. And that's what they want to do. Um, you know, in James Lindsay's um, current book, Race Marxism, he talks about the idea of, of um, the, the, I'll keep it simple, of creating paper clips. There's an analogy with uh, artificial intelligence and it create, and its job is to create paper clips. And then all it does is it looks just to create paper clips until it literally will try to turn the universe into a paper clip, right? It just churns out paper clips. And that's, so that stuck with me. So whenever I'm reading these books, you'll see little paper clip symbols everywhere because it, 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 it dawns on me that that section there is they're, they're trying to churn out paper clips or to translate, they're churning out little race Marxists. They're churning out, you're trying to teach your kindergartner, your little kindergartner, how to be critical about the very foundations of our culture, right? That, so what's the, you know, what's the definition of, of critical race theory? It's this belief that America was founded and it was founded and created on white supremacy and whiteness for the benefit of white people. And what are they teaching these kids? They're teaching these kids that what is normal, critical race theory, the white, white supremacy is the normalcy of our society. And in order to liberate the marginalized voices, the marginalized people, you know, you know BIPOC or whatever term, you know, is, is popular that you want to use, you have to end oppression, which means that you have to work towards ending American United States civilization as we know it so that we can bring about this utopia. And how do you get there? Critical consciousness. You make these preschoolers become aware that even their very own parents are oppressors. That sexuality is an oppressor. Because American culture says traditionally that there is your male or your female. Well, who says that? Well, that's, is that normal? Well, that's normalcy. Well, then we have to end normalcy. And so now you have, you're teaching our kids to be, frankly, become highly neurotic. And, and yep. now they're destabilized. Mm -hmm. And once you destabilize even the youngest of kids, you can destabilize society. And now go to your, you know, to throw in your radical love piece, who's been loving them, who's had their arm around them. Who remember free air started with adults and, 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 and with adults, you have a um, let's say a peer relationship 
And so you have democracy, these classroom democratic, by the way, I'm going to come back around to all this stuff. I'll tie it all together. Trust me. Um, you have these democratic classrooms. Well, we run a democratic classroom. Well, what does that mean? The teacher is putting themselves in a position where they're equal with their children. And we're not talking as human beings. In fact, they talk about it explicitly in, in, in their literature that if a teacher, and Freer talks about this as well, if a teacher behaves as if they're they're the no, like they're they're the ones that are the experts, they're oppressors in that situation. They're oppressing people that don't know. And who are you to who are you? You different people have different knowledges. And so teachers have to be um what we call in, in current, what they've co-opted the term growth mindset. Okay. I asked, I asked somebody about this weeks ago. I said, they keep using growth mindset as an attack on those of us that stand against them in this idea. Well, you don't have a growth mindset. And then I figured it out. Whether they know it or not, the growth mindset is the idea that you are a learner just like the kids and therefore you are at the kids level. And so these teachers run these democratic classrooms and what they're really doing is they're, they're not creating a healthy difference between the adult in the room and the student in the room, a healthy traditional barrier between that. So now go back to the other thing. You se you sever a strong bond at home. You get the kids to go home and question everything their parents do because they're now they're, they're little highly critical little, you know, race Marxists that are challenging everything. And by the way, I've seen this twice in the last week over whether here in my own household or where I've seen those behaviors taking place. I listened to a 13 year old tear up her middle school teacher because the middle school teacher wasn't using a te teaching method that this 13 year old thought the teacher should be using. And I'm like, well, who are you to be critiquing the teacher's teaching method? Right? So there it's out there already. And so you sever, you start to separate the kids and you teach them radical love and who's there to have their little arm around them and tell them that we love you and who is affirming their choices. Many times we learned in the last week behind parents' backs, the school, the school is affirming the kids and their, their gender or whatever, whatever the, you know, the take is. Yeah. There's many things that they affirm besides gender. We, we hear that word and we instantly go to that, but think about as a parent, all the things that your child, the whims and the fantasies and the, the desires that they have, like, I don't want to do homework. Homework is dumb and I shouldn't have to do this and that. And believe it or not, even that's starting to be like different things that kids want or don't want are being affirmed as long as they further the goal that Ryan is identifying of taking on like a direct hit at what's traditional or what's what the parents might want or what was normal. As long as it coincides with that, they might what they might affirm it. They're yeah. affirming certain kinds of bullying. They're yeah. allowing it to happen and calling it, you know, restorative justice because, well, it serves our purpose. So, so let's, hold, on, hold on. Let's, let's go there. Let's go there okay. because that's another important piece to all of this. First of all, they don't want they don't want um, compliance. They want conversion. Yes, they want conversion. Remember, we want to come back around to religion too, because that actually plays a role in 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 in, in the the base of this. But um, let's talk about the bullying aspect. And I'm not I'm not using hyperbole. So in the 1960s, you have 
you have Pol Pot, you have the Cultural Revolution, you have Stalinist Russia, and, and you have um, the uprisings here in the United States, right? The radical, you know, weather underground blowing stuff up, who, by the way, many of them put on shirts and ties and went into the, the colleges of ed, okay? So you have these, all this stuff is going on in the 60s. Friere starts to implement his ideology. By the way, he got exiled from Brazil because it was so radical for the Brazilians. And he goes off and he starts to realize in the 70s that, uh-oh, my, my critical pedagogy, a feature of my critical pedagogy, a natural byproduct, is that once these oppressed people gain critical consciousness, start to do praxis and free themselves and liberate themselves, they actually turn into the oppressors. So kind of think like, let's say, I don't know, it's not going to be a perfect analogy, but the Cuban revolution, che, che Guevara, right? They just want liberty and so forth. All of a sudden, Che Guevara is killing hundreds of thousands of people. Castro is a deep oppressor, right? And so Freer realizes that inherent and critical pedagogy is when you move kind of like a natural progression is that these kids are going to become bullies, and they're going to become violent. And quote, I'm going to quote from the textbook here. Um, While we do not promote hate, such strong feelings are part of students' sense-making and development. So Freire realizes this. By the way, that, that textbook is like 20, 2019, I think it was printed. These yeah. people right now implementing this stuff, they recognize that there is violence that's going to possibly happen. And while, while we, don't, we don't support the violence, we understand because the violence is a sense-making apparatus. It is a part of what needs of healing. So, they, so the religious aspect, healing. They talk about healing a lot, that we need to heal the kids. So I want to stick with, with the bullying piece. I want to now tie in social-emotional learning. It is not new. Social emotional learning dates back to Paulo Freire and a guy before him named Eric Fromm. And Fromm, and I don't know enough about Fromm, but I do know the, a few basics that ties into what we got to talk about. Fromm is another one of those German, um, you know, 1930s, 40s, radical communist type of psychoanalyst. So he was a psychoanalyst. And he starts to see that this ideology has a problem too. And he comes up with the what we call social-emotional learning. Friere reads from and realizes that's the solution to, to his problem, or at least he thinks it is. Mm-hmm. So, so, so he starts to incorporate social-emotional learning. But um, social-emotional learning, again, and I don't know if we talked about this or not, but social-emotional learning in the, the well, up until now, was this concept that we want to, you know, we want to just teach kids character education, right? Develop skills that'll help them become good, you know, strong adults and have good mental health and all sort of stuff. And in 2018, 2019, Castle comes out and says, not good enough. We need yeah. to inject racial justice into this and we need to call it transformative social emotional learning. Okay. Transformative. One of the big gurus in transformative SEL is Dina Simmons. And what does she call her company? Liberated. That's the name of her company. Her her consulting firm is Liberated. Okay. And so 
what Castle, as critical pedagogy has gained a lot more steam, especially in the last 10 years inside of education, somebody at least figured out or these and these people know their stuff, especially the, 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 the top tier people. We'd better inject social emotional learning into this or we're going to have massive problems and restorative justice and all those other other pieces that they're trying to inject in that that aren't still working. They're not working. And so social emotional learning in Freire's context is the radical love. That's the love piece that we have to re reorientate these students. So, and I got to make this clear. I got to try and get my, my own head clear. Just like everything in this ideology, there is a, there, it, they segregate out who gets what. So for example, if you're white, your social, social emotional learning curve is geared towards becoming not an oppressor and becoming, um, um, you know, uh, uh, in solidarity with these people. And you have to unbecome or unlearn being an oppressor. Okay. If you're, if you're the oppressed group, you have a different social emotional learning where it's, we have to build you up and you have, we have to rid you of this oppressive mindset. Okay. So uh, let, let's do, I'm going to, I'm going to draw on just for historical, like for narrative standpoint, you, you know, think of the, the, the Hebrews in, in Egypt during Moses' time, right? And Moses goes in, he's a liberator, right? And he goes in and he, he releases them from out of their oppression, right? And what happens to them when they get into the forest? They want to go back because Stockholm syndrome or whatever language you want to use. And so that's their mindset right now is, well, we have to, we have to undo that mindset of being oppressed. And that's where the social emotional piece comes in. So it's, 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 it's multifaceted. It's partly to undo the violence that's going to come from the kids that have been told that mm -hmm. they've been oppressed and they're going to lash out and they want power. Cause let's face it, this is all about power. Well, it makes sense too, because in abusive situations, most abuse victims, as soon as it becomes apparent that they are being, you know, they don't like the treatment. They may not know they're being abused, but they realize they don't feel good in this situation. It is actually pretty common to start questioning what your abuser is doing or start looking back to, you know, the people that you've been cut off from or whatever. And the next phase typically is what's called the smear campaign, where the person or group of people or cults or whatever that's been trying to groom you into its mindset has to take extra steps to tell you that this is where the gaslighting comes in of like what you think you see is not real. Like, you know, your parents don't really love you. Your parents, you know, that they say that, but that's a lie. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they have to, they've separated you long enough to get these ideas in your head. But once they start becoming very uncomfortable, now you got to go back and cut off any desire you have. And if they can't cut off your desire to go back, they have to cut off your ability to go back. Right. So then you get into things like, you know, having the kids make permanent decisions that make it nearly impossible for them to reconcile with family or commit crimes or do things that, you know, just make it like there's no turning back now. I belong to this group. It's almost like gang in initiation, but you can't allow, they can't allow them to perceive anything positive about what was before. 
And, and let's, I want to be very, very clear here. I mean, my teaching career, I've spent far more time working with low urban socioeconomic kids, predominantly black and Hispanic. Um, that's the bulk of my teaching career and even coaching career. Um, I just vehemently disagree with how they want to fix some of these problems because there are yeah. problems. And okay. we, and we, those of us that are, I would say, cause you know, right and left, I don't, it's not even a thing to me now. It's, it's, you know, are you uh, basically uh, moving in the Marxist direction or are you, are you moving into individualist, right? The collectivist versus individualist mindset. And I don't agree with their solutions. Well, as but, you pointed out, they're not meant to be solutions. No. It's and, meant, and, you it, know, Paulo Freire was opposed to problem solving and also Marx. It's one of the sort of tenets of Marxism, as I understand it, that a true revolutionary does not even contemplate life after the revolution because it's too much of a distraction and you need to be fully committed to the revolution. Yeah. And we'll jump off that bridge when we get to it kind of right. mindset. Well, they don't, so they don't know how. And, yeah, they yeah, don't. They don't they're not problem solvers. They're destroyers. Well, and, and so the other thing, and, and, and I don't want to get deep, too deep in the, into the philosophical, you know, philosoph philosophical background and so forth, but it's basically like you, you have two opposing forces, right? You, like you said, the dichotomy, dialectic, right? Two opposing forces. And then out of that, you come, come a, a new piece, right? A new, a new um, tier of whatever it is. Over time, though, that becomes the status quo. And now you need another opposing force to create the new piece, the new quality, and that becomes the status quo and so on and so forth. And as, as the, the term goes, the dialectic continues, right? So it the resistance just, that we've put up is actually helping them. In, in some ways. In some way, you know, like it's creating a new, like every day we create enemies anew for them to help them along you know along their way and there's no way around it right ryan i mean it's not like you're gonna stop doing what you're doing or i'm gonna stop doing what i'm doing and just let the kids go and hope for the best like i, I hope it burns itself out because they're also in the process destroying knowledge yeah. if you well, don't and, pass knowledge on so and i am not <laughs> i i'll say this term kind of in, in, in tongue cheek but i'm not cheek but i'm not smart enough to have all these solutions. And I, and I don't know that one yeah. person does, right. That, right. that it's going to be, a, um, I do think but that's though, why it feels frustrating, right? It's right. like, you feel like every time you take one step forward, you get two steps back. But here's a thought. Here's a thought that maybe gets us going in that direction is you said dialectic opposing forces, but what is the one thing that capitalism does that they, they, including, you know, the, the Marcuse and Marx and so forth, they, um, is a real problem for that ideology. It's the middle class. Because the middle class makes people, in their terms, they're going to say, well, the middle class makes people feel comfortable still being oppressed by the bourgeois, right? Um, but really, the middle class is, is the idea that, you know, you can work your way out of poverty no matter who you are. And I think the, the real solution is we need to go back and we need to relearn, me included, by the way, and get better acquainted with the founding documents of this country. And I'm not talking just the Constitution, because the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution go together. And then we need to actually move in that direction. You want to talk about an end goal. What's the end goal? A more perfect union. They didn't say a perfect union. They said, we're moving in a more perfect union. 
right? And that all men are created equal. And we know, yes, yes, all men, women, you know, but the idea is this. And if you read the Declaration of Independence, it bookends with here are the problems and here's our direction. This is what we want to achieve. This movement, they don't even tell you what their end goal is. They just want to upend the system. They just want to end the oppressive state of the United States of America. And that is not hyperbole. Um, and That's this stuff, part people have a hard time believing though, Ryan. I mean, I know because it's conspiracy theory. It's but to them. give it six months. But I mean, it's, it, it's not though. See, you've read. And so you're not just here. Like you said, it's not hyperbole. You're not just here stating your opinion. You've literally read their words. This would be akin to the people who read Mein Kampf. Mm-hmm. And trying to come up forward and say to people, I've read Hitler's actual writings of what he plans to do, not what I think he plans to do, what he says he plans to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to tell you here in 1930 or whatever way before, you know, it yeah. happened. Yeah, late 20s, this yeah. is his this is his plan. And people saying that's hyperbolic. You've read their words. They have made it abundantly clear what they want to do. And they're not even that shy about it anymore on webinars and professional development trainings saying they want to fundamentally change the world, not just the country. They want to destroy the West. They want to get rid of capitalism. They want to, you know, one of the 13 principles of BLM in the classroom is dismantle the nuclear family structure. So they're, they're not hiding this. It's not hyperbole when you are stating what they are saying. The only time they straight up lie to you is when the like the news cameras in their face or it's a political debate mm-hmm. or something like that and they realize that people who aren't inclined to go read their writings watch the professional trainings or even watch a video like this can be quickly and easily dispatched with a lie and then we just go back to telling our telling the truth in plain sight but not where the busy bourgeois mom or dad is going to ever challenge us because well, let's let's do this. I mean, I'm going to bring in a real real world example from this last week, where the where the World Economic Forum comes out, and I know our little community knows about this, and other people, it's okay. Um, but the World Economic Forum comes out and says we're going to develop a new world order. They say it explicitly at a conference over the weekend. Um, and what happens is when the right when 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 people that are that don't want the World Economic Forum to run the world. Go see, they're telling you they're running a new world order. And then you look at the videos on YouTube and there's a disclaimer from, you know, let's say you did a, a video on that and you say, see, they're, they're saying new world order. YouTube tells you it's a conspiracy theory. I am not joking. Yeah. They, they have a disclaimer under the video of you. You could be, I, this happened this last week. A big name personality had a, a video clip from their show playing that video and underneath that video clip, was a disclaimer saying that new world order is a conspiracy theory, but they were saying it themselves. So what's happened now is that our whole world is turned upside down to the point where they'll tell you what they're doing. And the media comes out when, when the, the, the opponents react to it and say, see, they're, they're telling you what they're going to do. Oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. And the average uninformed person, not stupid, just uninformed goes, yeah, well, I, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna trust the news over some wacko on on YouTube, right? You know what I mean? Or and just so- at a minimum, I don't want to be associated with or have to defend, or I don't have to do the amount of reading 
and research I have to do to be able to stand up to accusations from other people that I'm a conspiracy yeah. theorist. So I'm just going to drop it. Right. So I want to, I want to tie in a real world school example that we have evidence for and show how this is, this is, by the way, it's in the process of moving into the school. And so um, it's, it's actually, we have a chance to kind of stop this. Um, so we're going to, we're going to travel to, to Castro Valley uh, Unified School District in California. It's in the Bay Area. So it's a suburb of, of San Francisco and Oakland. Um, and a side note, I'm, I know it seems like this is only in California. It's in Oregon, like crazy. It's also up in, in Seattle and in, in the Washington state. They have their own version of this going on. Minnesota is passing a bill as we speak that is going to make ethnic studies mandatory. And they're using the same language as California. Um, okay. this, this material has moved into a school district in Wisconsin. It's, it's in Boston. It's in Providence, Rhode Island. And, and those are places that I've, I've in Denver, Colorado, which is a hot mess. So this stuff isn't just yeah. West Coast. So no, and in places like Cherry Hill, New Jersey, as an example, where you might not necessarily get away with doing the ethnic studies 1492 thing, but because you've got Camden right next door, and even though Cherry Hill itself doesn't have a high population of you know black students, you now have a mandatory a uh, black history course. You cannot graduate without having that when there's already an elective for the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I'll be coming out with a video about what's going on with that. But the bottom line is even where they're not calling it ethnic studies, they find something else. They do African-American studies or they do black history or the point being they're inserting mandatory courses in the academic curriculum. So this is apart from sex ed. This is apart from, from SEL and stuff. They're inserting mandatory uh, courses that will specifically address the issues that Ryan's talking about. And, and we're not talking about history. No, we're talking and we, we started off the show with their definition of ethnic studies there. This is about ending oppression as they see it. It's Correct. not about history. So let's go to Castro Valley Unified School District, California. And in January, January 19th, the school board unanimously votes to approve a contract for 80, I think $82,000 for teachers training by a company called Liberated Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum Consortium. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast and you're, you're, you're aware. Um, so this company, and let's just say the consortium just for simplicity, um, this consortium has on their website a ton of their materials. They have a core document uh, there. They're, it's called chapter one or intro. I kind of read it as their, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, their manifesto about what they're going to teach, why they're going to teach it. For example, they integrate in what they call the four eyes of oppression. You're talking ideological, institutional, interpersonal, and internalized. Okay. That's part of their program. They have guiding principles and values that talk about intersectionality. They have a link on their website that you can find very easily. They believe that critical race theory must be part of what they're doing. As we defined before, critical race theory sees that, the, that America was founded on racism and white supremacy. And that is the whole 
back that is that is the foundation of what they're doing with their ethnic studies program do you mind if i pull it up just to show people as a yeah, visual go, absolutely 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 okay i'm going to share my screen because i i do want you guys to see how this looks okay so this is the website it's liberatedethnicstudies.org and based on what you said about oh you can easily find that's how easily you can find it <laughs> Yep. That that's how easy. And then you have, you know, the ethnic studies Q and A. It's teeny tiny types. You won't be able to read it. But I'm just showing this to you. There, so stop you stop can... there. Stop there. Stop there. There we okay. go. Okay. That that piece right there. That that graphic. That's actually a good good piece of graphic to zoom in on. I, I know you can't zoom per se, but um, let's see if I can. Uh... Let me let me tie in Castro Valley. So okay, the, go ahead. In, in the FOIA documents we got, we we FOIA'd for communications. When when parents questioned. What was what this stuff was about? This actually was a graphic that was sent to a parent, talking uh, to to basically just respond to what what this program was going to teach. And if you can see on the left hand side, multicultural education, and you kind of go down, it's just different perspectives and you know global collection, you know connections, and a little bit of anti bias and, and allyship. It even mentions that. Yep. Now go to their version of ethnic studies. You have centers, racialized communities. So centers. It's, it's centers. That's preferential. That's anti-American. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Self-determination. Self okay. Eh. Deconstruction. Right? We want to deconstruct society. Um, race and intersectional counter-narratives. We need to stop on intersectional. Whenever that's another key word for parents to know to look for in their school district is intersectional or intersectionality, which is all about who has power and using female or male, racial, you know, your gender background. You know, are you transgender? Um, are you disabled? Right. So you're taking all of these dynamics and then you're basically flipping their version of power is white man at top, white Christian, you know, heterosexual male. And they want to basically flip that pyramid around mm -hmm. and that's intersectionality that it's just, it's, it's a new power paradigm to put those that um, have all these different, you know, they, they actually put like black, um, you know, uh, queer women at the top of that pyramid a lot of times. So anyway, mm -hmm. that's what intersectionality is. So they're teaching a, a form of critical race theory there mm -hmm. um, concepts you know, they talk about decolonial, decolonizing, right? And that comes out of Franz Fanon, um, a, a guy from, from Africa back in the 60s. And decolonize means we are the colonizers, by the way. White people, America, we colonize the, the indigenous lands. So we are invaders, right? We, we have invaded and we have taken over lands. And so they want to decolonize. They want to give the land back, hence a land acknowledgement. Um, and then they have internationalist and solidarity, co-conspirators, anti-racist. And so that's a that is a, a nice little gist of some of the things that they're they're implementing into this program that's being taught is going to be taught um, maybe maybe explicitly depending on the age group, but what they're they're teaching this to the teachers and the mm. teachers, so let's let's go back. I'm gonna I'm gonna refocus on Castro Valley. Sure. Okay, so January school board unanimously approves this contract for eighty thousand dollars. It comes out to, with by the this way, company. With this company, Eight. 
Now, the California Ethnic Studies law that was put into place said that you don't have to use the curriculum that they created. It was a little cute little caveat they put in where it's like, you have to have an ethnic studies program by, by you know, full speed by this date. But you don't have to use our curriculum. You can use whatever curriculum you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this group of people, this, this consortium right here, the reason they formed this consortium is because when they were on the original founding committee to create the California ethnic studies curriculum, they put in stuff that was... Um, uh, especially deemed by the Jewish community in California as anti-Semitic and anti-Zionist. Okay. Now I have uh, to be, to be honest, I haven't fully read that document. Um, um, and, and, and I want to trust in, 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 you know, um, but I want to verify that information at some point. So mm-hmm. that information, that curriculum went through a several different iterations. Even the governor, even governor Newsom would not pass the original curriculum. Because the Jewish community, to their credit, came together as a unified voice and stood up against it. So they went back and revised. These people from LESMCC decided they were, they were upset about that. So they broke off and they created this consortium. So what you're looking at right now is basically the original curriculum that would have been taught to students in California if they would have mandatory man, mandated that original version. So because of the, the effort of that one community, just saying no way, yep, not having it. In fact, so let's, uh, um, I want to jump back to, to Castro Valley because okay. the only opposition to them hiring this company to teach their teachers at this point, at this moment was the Jewish community. But based on our FOIA results, they only started emailing about two days before, which means that because I don't have this information yet, is that that inf- that announcement that they were going to hire this company only went out to the community two days prior to the board meeting, because that's when all of the emails from from um, um, the ADL, from the you know Jewish groups, from individuals, from Fair um, up in New York. You know, they started sending stuff in. Um, it, it all got basically, you know, um, ignored. Or there were some cute responses back. Or that's not what we're teaching. And, and those type of pieces. And, and, and that happened even up after the vote, that these emails kept coming in. What we also saw in the FOIA results is that this process started a, um, at least eight months prior, if not the spring prior, when a couple teachers and principals from the district took a training that's done by these people. And one of the trainings done by this group, this consortium is for white teachers specifically. Okay. So this is white teachers. Correct. And you may be able to find it on there, but here's, here's the gist of it. Why, why only white teachers? Because white teachers are oppressors. And in this, yep. And in this ideology, White teachers can only teach ethnic studies if they've been highly trained in this ideology. So in other words, you can't teach the cult material if you're not a cultist. And because you're an oppressor, you you don't have what um, 
um, oh my gosh, it escapes me. I think it was Gramsci or it doesn't matter, but double consciousness. So you don't understand what it's like to be an oppressor. Or, I'm sorry. You don't be you oppressed. Oppressed. Correct. Correct. I'm right. I'm, I'm going a little too fast here. We don't wow. understand what it's like to be oppressed. So we cannot identify with the oppressed. We can only, we only have single consciousness. We only identify with the oppressor mindset, but them, they both, they understand what it could be like to be an oppressor and they know what it's like to be oppressed. So white teachers have a separate training so that they can get a little bit better at understanding, you know, to a degree sure. on what it's like to be oppressed. Can we can we just for people who can't see this because it's so tiny, I just want to show on this list of guiding principles and values. Yeah, perfect. And I don't think they would have changed this even if they did change the part about the Palestinian stuff. It says critique empire, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, -indig racism, patriarchy, cis heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, and for some bizarre reason, anthropocentrism. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, and I looked it up before and I can't remember at the moment. That is human beings being more important than animals. Yes, as far as that's I understand right. That's it. Right. Yes. So, yes. I mean, are we now on equal footing with my cat? I mean, I, I love my cats. I do, and my dogs, but I, 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 I'm going to probably put humans. Um, and in one of their lessons, of in one of their lessons, they actually um, problematize adults. In the normalcy lessons, they say adults, adult is a problematic position. It's an so oppressor. So children of the corn coming soon to a neighborhood near you. Yeah, Lord of the Flies okay. is going to go well in real life. Is there, gonna, um, is there any more value to this or can I click? I just no, you, wanted you to show. That. Yeah, you can get out of that. Okay. So I just I wanted wanna, to show people yeah, real quickly. No, what was fantastic. Going. So the, the school district was already involved with this, comp this consortium uh, in some manner. And that's why I believe, now I, I don't have actual evidence of this, but based on my read, tea, tea leave reading, right, the, the emails that went back and forth and, and the excitement about using this consortium is that it wasn't even up for debate. There was another group that in response, once they found out that this, this was going to be uh, on the docket for the board meeting, another group that has a traditional ethnic studies program sent in a proposal, hire us, to hire us, to the point where they even cut the price in half. So remember, they're paying these guys, the, this consortium, $80,000. You know what that comes out to per hour based on the contract? About $500 an hour. Jesus. $500. Of taxpayer money. Yep. Here, please come and psychologically and emotionally abuse our children and contribute to the downfall of Western civilization. Five hundred dollars an and, hour, and the district allotted double that amount for for paying teachers and staff to be at these trainings. So they budgeted one hundred and fifty thousand dollars just to train the teachers. So first first session happened in March with the teachers. One of the summer sessions is a session only for white teachers. And they're going to be, and I have it written somewhere else, so, so forgive me for not being verbatim here, but the, that white teacher training is, again, to go back and is to teach them how to deal with their white fragility as they go through teaching ethnic studies and how to work with white students 
as they come to this, now I'm going to bring in the religious piece here. And okay, so we're going to bounce into the religious piece. How they deal with their literal quote from Friere rebirth into this critical consciousness. This is, is sounding a, like they'd like to bring about revelations. <laughs> huh. This is very scary, actually. So that's I wanna, why I, I get your rev, your comparison to Jim Jones. Yeah, it's it, it. Well, so I mean, think about this. You know, I mean, because Jim Jones is very Pentecostal, right? He had a, he had a very heavy Pentecostal background and so forth and and whatnot. But you know, you're having kids do a land acknowledgement. Um, one of the things that got pulled out by by the work of of some of these people that have been working with me and Chris Rufo did a big article last, last year, last summer um, on the Aztec piece that was in this until Chris Rufo, his reporting and the work, the research work of these people got that on the mainstream. Even Glenn Beck did a big piece uh, about a year ago or so on his show about the Aztec piece. And that's important, but we missed the rest of this. So there, in some regard, they call it in la cash, and it's actually a chant, okay? And that's still a core piece of their work, whether or not they're going to still get it into school. So they have these kids doing a chant. They have them doing these, these land acknowledgments of, of reconciliation with the indigenous tribes. They're, they're literally talking about radical love and rebirth that, you know, you have to be rebirthed into this, this mindset. Uh, you're born again. Okay. And so it's very religious. In fact, Paulo Freire was one of the core, um, I don't want to say founding fathers, but he was one of the core guys with liberation theology, which yeah. came out of South America, was actually created and developed by the Catholics. And the head guy that or the main Catholic guy that was working with Freire and Freire was actually a, a pretty devout Catholic. Okay. By the way, people, a fun fact on the side is that Pope Benedict, for, for the Catholic people out there, Pope Benedict put into the highest Vatican power position in around 2013 a liberation theologist Catholic. He's from South America, is he not? Uh, well, Francis is. Yes, our current Pope. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yes, our current Pope. Oh, the current Pope, not Pope Benedict. Sorry, my bad. Um, so anyway, but so that's just a sign. Yeah, no, that's it, it, it. But I, I want to say something because this, this surprised me. The other day, somebody wrote me on Twitter and said, "Can you stop saying that woke ideas are like a religion? Can you please refer to it as a cult?" It's, I'm a religious person, and it offends me. And I really want to make something clear in my in my materials. And you know, Ryan and I are not saying that. I mean, no, nobody's equating this with any other existing religion. There are certain markers that make something a faith-based system, a religion, you know, that involves conversion, proselytizing, dogma, those kinds of things. Now, yes, there are more elements of cultism with this than your standard mainstream religion, which doesn't require you to abandon infidels and things like that. Although there are, you know, like I said, mainstream non-fundamentalist reform versions of religion don't really have anything to do with this. It would be akin to saying, you know, a Twinkie is a cake and the cake you just baked from scratch is a cake. They're both cakes. My saying that said Twinkie is a cake does not insult your cake. Right. It's just we're just right. describing the features. And the reason I personally think it's important, maybe, Ryan, you'll you'll have other things to add to this or you'll disagree with me, 
is if we could get a majority of people to realize that this is a faith-based religious system or belief system, then we would have a leg to stand on in the United States sooner than later to employ the First Amendment to stop it because the state has absolutely no authority to promote pay for, et cetera, religious conversion activities or any kind of preaching or anything like that in public spaces. If they want to go found private schools, much as I would hate it and try to advise parents against it, it is their right in the United States to set up a private wokeism school. But no, public K-12 is not supposed to preach religion. And that, so that's why we do refer, at least that's what I do refer to it that way. Plus it's accurate. It's a fact, but it, it's no no offense intended is my point. And, and that's why I, I have adopted the language that it's they don't want compliance. They want conversion because it's not good enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. And they it's want submission too. Yeah. Yep. So if you can't convert, you better submit. Right. Because otherwise and, very bad things will happen to you. <laughs> and if you're not converting... Maybe you're a domestic terrorist or as I'm waiting for coming from the DOJ, mentally ill, mentally ill, or you're a domestic abuser. I, with the Florida bill stuff, I'm waiting for that to come out, you know, as from, from even the DOJ, like last fall is that, well, then you must be a domestic abuser. And then same apply that here, that if you're not, well, you know, they're going to start off with the, well, you, you know, you don't want to teach true history. They're not even teaching history. That's not, it's not even about history. Forget the history piece. This is about conversion into their ideology plain and simple now i want to i want to broaden this a little bit from castro valley because i want to sh- i want to show the listeners and anybody else that's involved here that this is this is going to be mainstream in your school before you know it these people are heavily involved with the nea the national education association the the teachers union so much so that the, the chief executive offer, officer or the, the director of this consortium just spoke a couple weekends ago at the NEA conference. Her, their staff spoke in one session just about gen, you know, generally about ethnic studies, which I haven't seen the video yet because I'm trying to get it. Um, but my guess would be they're talking about their version of ethnic studies. The, 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 the head of this consortium she spoke in her own session. Guess what topic category it fell under? Social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. They are pushing this. Remember, radical love, healing. They are pushing this into wellness. They are pushing this as a necessary piece for these oppressed kids. And therefore, it must be social emotional learning. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen is, is that this version of ethnic studies you're going to have to, your kids are going to have to go through it. Even, even so much so, by the way, that the University of California system is currently in the process of requiring there. I don't know if it's, it's, it's a proposal. I don't know if it's finalized yet. Nobody can be admitted to the UC system unless they've taken an ethnic studies course. And most likely this is becoming the, 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 um, the, the dominant form of ethnic studies in the, in the California system, because remember the schools don't have to use the California curriculum. They can use this company's curriculum. Okay. And so the UC system 
is setting up a, a, a way that if your child wanted to go to UC's Riverside, they ain't going to get in unless they've taken these courses. So if your school doesn't offer this course, you go to the school or your counselor, which is probably what's going to happen, says, we want our kids to go to a UC UCLA. We better start offering these courses. So then what they do, they start offering, maybe they start with online. So you take an online course with LESMCC. They get extra money, right? Then your kid now has the accreditation to get into the UC school. And that's how they go from a top down. By the way, a lot of these people in this liberated ethnic studies are also professors in the university, California university system. In fact, the, the assistant director or co-director of this company was the vice president for a time of the California Teachers Association. Wow. So these people aren't just like, you know, you know, Susie and Baba, you know, teachers. So they're te by the way, they're teachers in classrooms. The head of the, this head woman, oh, here's another fun fact. I haven't nailed this all down yet, but it's definitely coincidental that in 2020, LA's, you know, LAUSD, the school district in LA, their teachers union, UTLA, I think it is, put out a list of demands before for school opening that read like a manifesto, right? Like they wanted housing for the homeless. They wanted all these act, all these things. At least for sure that fall, the head woman of LESMC and the author of this textbook were both voted onto the school board, the, the, the teachers board or the teachers union board for UTLA. My guess is if I can find the data, they at least had a very heavy hand in developing that list of demands. So these, right. these, are, these are players. These are players and they're pushing this stuff out to the rest of the country. Um, and they're, they're especially doing it through the NEA. And this is another way they are inserting themselves between you and your child. Kids usually start to think about their college when they're you know juniors unless they've known all along, okay, and then it's even worse. But let's say they're really finalizing and they're a junior in high school and they're like, all right, I want to go to UC Riverside or UCLA or whatever. And you, the parent, are saying, yeah, uh, I don't want you to have to take that ethnic studies class. I don't agree with it. So you're going to have to pick a different college or I don't want you to go to that college. First of all, when they're 18, they can do whatever the heck they want. Mm -hmm. And that's a big rift that co might come between you. Um, or that just might start an argument because, again, if they've been in the schools all this time, even if they haven't gone full blown into it, right, if they right. still defer to you a little bit and they're not totally cult like this is the last straw where it's sort of like, you know, I do what I want. I'm an I'm almost an adult and I'm it's my life. It's my school. And come on, mom or dad, you're making a big deal out of nothing. It's just an ethnic studies class. What's the big deal? And you can end up in a pitched battle with your child for their mind and their soul. And, 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 and you might think, well, come on, dad, that, that just because they take the class doesn't mean they're going to agree with all this stuff. That's true. It doesn't. But you're wasting a year of their life, spending an hour or however long in a class, and the risk exists. Yep. But it's here's the problem. It's a non-zero risk. But here, I'm going to give you a warning, though because this is also a very important part of this of this curriculum and ideology. It is not going to be good enough for them just to take the class because one of the core pieces to these lesson plans that they're doing with kindergartners on up is the praxis part. That you it's, have it's, to protest. You have to. And I know people don't like, well, you know, 
Uh, I don't, you know, oh, they're not going to have my kids be activists or some people. Well, I don't see a problem with activism. You know what? I probably, if it were for the right reasons and done in the right way and so on and so forth, I, I might, but we're talking about kindergartners here. We're talking about preschoolers. We're talking about third, fourth graders that are being taught to, let's go back to the lesson plan. What is normal? And when you catch your classmates doing something that we've defined as normal, you need to call them out on it. The, so it's not good enough to just take these ethnic studies courses. They have to do a practical piece to these units. I want to tie in another piece as we kind of near near our converse, end of our conversation. They gloat in this book that was copyrighted in 2019. They gloat about San Francisco Unified School District and how them implementing ethnic studies into, especially with the black males and Hispanic males, how it was really making them improve their reading and their comprehension, all this wonderful accolades of academics. Except for a couple weeks ago, a report was produced that showed that San Francisco Unified School Districts, black males and Hispanic males of 11th grade had a reading comprehension of fifth grade. Yep. They are, if they're not lying, they are being extraordinarily deceptive on right. what what the data is saying. And that's why they have to say, well, they're just not implementing it right. Just kind of like con communism is just never done right. Right. And the other thing about you mentioned, you know, like the warning and they're going to have to protest and so forth. There's not going to be, oh, OK, I'll go for, to the March for Life. Mm -hmm. And that that'll be my protest or I'm going to protest against zoning regulations because I'm a libertarian. <laughs> like that's not going to that's not going to fly. Uh, I'm protesting against reparations. Nope. Also not going to fly. Right. There are going to be certain things that will qualify as an appropriate protest. And here's the, the thing, parents. This is all unconstitutional. Forcing your child. It's called compelled speech. Yep. It's called compelled speech. It's illegal. In a public school, they really actually can't even do it in a private school. Children have more rights in the classroom than the teachers and even the new parents. And even if you're paying to be there at the school, your child doesn't lose their civil rights. That's been well established. Uh, your child does not lose their civil rights just because they cross the threshold of an institution or anything like that. So this is a clear violation, in my opinion. I think if this happens in your school that you should be immediately working together to take some legal action, even if all it is, is to keep them busy fielding motions and, and, you know, for to cease and desist, this is not one of those like hand wringing moments of like, Oh no, can they do this? They're doing it, but they're doing it because nobody is saying you're breaking the law. Right. Compelled speech is illegal. Let me, let me say something else too. So that, you know, it's from a strategic standpoint. Um, the, these model lessons I'm talking about, they're model, model lessons, which means they may not be explicitly used in the classroom. Right. They may be. However, they're, when I said that these people are orthodox free Aryans, uh, I, I don't know if that's a real term or not, I made it up. Anyway, it could be. Um, what I mean by that is, so Freer talked about culturally responsive or relevant education that's critical pedagogy what they're doing with their with their program is they're going into these districts and they're adhering to freer's stuff freer's ideology which is that curriculum for castro valley really needs to center 
the marginalized voices of Castro Valley's community. Just like if they came in to teach the teachers in my community, they would they would center, let's say, whatever native tribe was indigenous to here or whatever population is the most marginalized. So they go in and what they do is they teach the teachers this ideology. So this stuff will be in there or it, it will it will be the guiding principles, as they say, to mm -hmm. how the teachers develop their curriculum. Now, they may use some of their model lessons. They may not. But this is the ideology, just like with CRT. Yeah, no, they're not teaching kindergartners that critical race theory is blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. But it's it's the it's how they approach teaching the kids that it, Nazi Germany, right? And I hate to harp on Nazi Germany, but that's my historical. That's my bachelor's in history. You're, as Brett Weinstein says, you have to go to the same section of the library to find analogies. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. good enough. People, I know people don't like the analogy, but it doesn't have to be a direct analogy. If you're looking around for one and you find yourself in that quadrant, yep. it's probably already not a great thing. But where else are you going to go? That's where it is. Well, and if we use, we can use, you know, uh, cultural China, China Mao's China, China oh, right, pick right. one. Yeah. So let's let's do that instead for fun. Um, That's fine, right? So you have the rightists in in Mao's China, which were the where let let's say it's it's uh, uh, Chiang Kai Shek's um, um, Republicans, right, or, or conservative, or you know, capitalists, right? Right. So if if all you ever taught students was that the rightists or the capitalists were evil and that everything you taught kids historically was they was bad, that what they yeah. did was evil. Of course, those kids, those red guard are going to see them as evil. And what are they going to do? Red guard goes out and starts, you know, attacking them, killing them, doing struggle sessions, etc. Right. And that's what we're talking about here with this is that ethnic, this version of ethnic studies, liberated ethnic studies, how do you get kids indoctrinated to see that America is a colonizer built on white supremacy and whiteness for the benefit of white people? That's the only perspective you give them, that that the indigenous people in the black community, the BIPOC community, they've been oppressed, they're op they're, you know, they, they've, they've struggled and they've, they've overcome some of this stuff, but they still can't fully overcome it because the current system is still oppressing them. So, right. and, and you teach these kids that, what do you think the byproduct is going to be? And especially if you attach virtue to that. So in other words, if you, with the intersectionality, if you attach virtue to being victimized and evil to being associated with oppression, then, you know, sin, whatever you want to call it, then you have people actively working to prove they're not sinful. Mm -hmm. So they'll do what you want. And you have people like really relishing that they're effortlessly virtuous, yep. you know, just by virtue of these immutable characteristics, the color of their skin or where their family came from or what language they speak or whatever that things that they didn't necessarily choose. And that's exactly. And that's that's the that's the first lesson these people do with all of this stuff is they do the first lesson is identity. What's your identity? And they do the gingerbread man, or yeah. they do some similar activity. The, the, the flower person, the, yeah. yeah, the gingerbread and the flower. That's the new one, right? And you break that all down. Um, I want to do a, a real world application that this that was you know, I, I I hate when this happens. People get so obsessed about it, but the Will Smith and Chris Rock incident, and not so much that incident, but when 
it came out, I think, I don't remember which news source it was, but that Will Smith hit Chris Rock because of white supremacy. And everybody just- <laughs> it took and, less than 24 hours. Yeah. And, you know, the average person rolls their eyes. But what I, why I'm saying that is because when you understand what these people are teaching and in trying to convert kids into, it makes a lot of sense that they blame white supremacy because Will Smith is dealing with a lot of internal and interpersonal oppression. He's a black man who's been oppressed by a, the American system. And so remember what I said earlier, where violence We're oppressed, is a multimillionaire. Yes. Yep. And remember violence is a byproduct. It's a feature of this ideology and it's ex it, they're going to say that it's not excusable, but it's going to happen. And so that's where that comes from. That Will Smith is just acting out his internal oppression. And so he hits Chris Rock. And so they excuse, and that's going to happen. I mean, um, our, our dear friend, Paul Galetta has been doing a thread now for over a year and a half to two years, just on Twitter. If you don't know Paul, find Paul. Paul Galetta. He's been um, on the channel before. Yeah. yeah. Paul Galetta is great. And he has a fantastic thread. He's been keeping for years on, on the violence that's been going on in our schools. And, and, and we, I know some of us always send him stuff when we find it to double check what he's been posting. Uh, but he's been having this thread going on about this violence in schools. And that is a byproduct a part, part, not full, but part of this critical pedagogy being taught to kids. And what do they need? They need social emotional learning. So maybe Will Smith just needs more social emotional learning. Maybe that, maybe he, maybe the Hollywood actors need, maybe more he needs a divorce. I, I mean, again, I well, the, the sad thing is, as you said, invert your thinking. If you want to understand yep. what they're saying, just assume every single, you know, it's like James Lindsay said, the iron law of woke projection, mm -hmm. what they say you're doing, they're doing what they say you want. They want what they, the kernel of truth, they, they launch from, they turn into some, they, they, they turn into a bigger problem. They don't offer a solution. So, you know, they might not be completely wrong that he's internalized some kind of oppression. It's just probably sure. a little closer to home than society. And that's what they do. So that you take something that is true racism is a real thing. Yep. You get people in that headspace that we're on the same page. There's a problem. You declare that you are the expert with the special, special knowledge. It's like Gnosticism, the special knowledge of how to solve this problem. We both agree exists, but if you don't agree with my solution, you must want to continue the problem. Well, and, and that's, that's where you're off the rails. And now you're on defense. Well, and the Gnosticism part is they, they write about that explicitly that you cannot, and I said this before, you cannot teach their materials unless either you're one of them or you're yep. specially trained and converted, right? Exactly. It's like it's like you can't be a priest or a priestess unless you've been reborn, bapt baptized, reborn, right. and adhere to the ideology. Right. And that activism is kind of like your baptism, there's yep. also certain proclamations you're supposed to make to just to show that you're an ally. They use language like ally and enemy or, you know, co-conspirator and enemies and things like that or oppressors. They use the language of struggle, the language of war. It's mm -hmm. all it's all in there. Once you start hearing it, once you start seeing it, you can't unsee it and you can't unhear yep. it. But that's what we're trying to do is to kind of help you guys, you know, see what's really going on. Um, I know that you have 
to go right to get your kids. I think, yeah. I think you have a talk. Okay. There is one, one final question, if it's all right with you, yeah. um, or if you had anything else, we'll, we'll, I want to come back to you in one second, but there was a question about, okay, so what do I do if I missed it all? And now I've got an adult age, an adult child who's been brainwashed. Any thoughts? Oh, um, my, my ideas would be maybe challenge them to, let's go back to the, to the classical learning, right? Like have them read Marx, have them read Adam Smith, you know, or whatever it is. I'm just, I'm using it as an example. Let's say you'll read it, say I'll read Marx, you read Adam Smith. How about we do, yeah. do a trade? And there, there is, and it, it escapes me right now, but there was something that came out partially through a thread, maybe a, maybe a sub stack of a dad who had a daughter come home from college and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll try to find it and get it, get it to your audience. Yeah. Um, um, and I can talk to Dr. James Lindsay because I, I think he may have even had it on his website, but it was a dad who found a process to get his daughter un, unwoked. And it right. took a process. It was a process and it went over time. And I think that would probably be far better than me actually having an answer. At okay. The moment. That, but, well, that's good. Let's, let's, let's see, look for yeah, it. Let's see if we can find that for, okay. the, for everybody. Because yeah. that, that is, you know, when we're speaking to people whose kids are very small, or even if they're just in middle school, I think, you know, we, you can probably still make a dent, but if your children have gone through all of this and you sent them to college and they came back and here, here's the situation, um, I mean, as a mom I, of an 18 year old myself, the only thing I could suggest is don't stray from your own principles, stand firm, but be loving, you know, make sure, you know, do what you would want to have been done for them, which is that, you know, you let them know what real love is not this radical love. Well, real love is I love you. I don't love your ideas. Right. You know, it's like, I love, you know, you're not going to lose my love, my child, but I'm not going to tolerate you being hostile, violent, like whatever, whatever manifestation is taking and stand firm. Because I don't think just like with any kind of an addict or any kind of a, a fanatic, you wouldn't want to enable by tolerating something that you know is bad for them. And it's definitely bad for you and everyone, right? So that'd be the only, it's hard, but I think it would be the only other little tiny thing, a piece of advice I would have to offer. Yeah. I hope I don't have to go through it, but I don't rule it out. She's about to go to college. It could happen to me. I would. So, so here's some things um, as we close out here um, for parents um, or anybody, well, grandparents, anybody in a community, because you, you pay taxes to your public schools regardless of your kids are in that school, don't let, don't let people tell you, well, your kids aren't here. So you can't have a say that's garbage. Um, when they talk about ethnic studies, which version is it? Is it an ethnic studies talking about history, anthropology, you know, that type of angle, or are they putting in and then look for the key words, liberated liberation, intersectionality, right? Um, equity is another problem. Um, you know, they're not talking about everywhere in the same shoes, you know? Um, uh, what else here? Um, I, I think those are the couple of the big ones. You know, uh, oppression is another big one, right? So some of the key words we talked about. Um, the other thing that I, I use with my college athletes, so young males that that I use myself when I, especially when I'm really struggling, um, is that I try to make make today better than yesterday. So as you're fighting these fights, and I, I use that, you know, sometimes literally, sometimes you know, figuratively. Um, just focus on trying to make this, this day better than the last one in, in mm -hmm. this, in this effort. Right. And it could be, you just read an extra article. 
on this, right? Become a little bit more knowledgeable. So these people, they play games. These, yeah. these radicals play games constantly. They're going to tell you this isn't in school. Then they're going to tell you it's in school. So what? We just want to teach true history, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and then what they do is they back you into that corner of, well, yeah, yeah you do want to teach history. I want, I'm a history guy. I want to teach history. And that's how they back you into the corner. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to teach kids that America has only done bad things. They've done bad things. Andrew Jackson was a bad guy, right? But there were also good things because we're feeding the poor of the world, right? We're doing, we, we are the most charitable nation in the, in the world, bar none. And in the history of the world too. Correct. And, and our poorest among us have 70 inch screen TVs in their rooms. I'm not saying, uh, you know, just, just as like a barometer there, right? Um, so, we, we have been a force for good and we've also done some, some individuals. And that's the biggest thing this comes down to that I tell people. Individualism or collectivism. And the religious component, collective salvation. Because as Patrice Cullors said, at a conference called Literally Praxis, two kids run by another liberated ethnic studies type of program out of Arizona. Okay, She said to those kids, and I posted on my Twitter account, a video, um, that in that video she says that Black bodies can't, or um, er, nobody can be free until black bodies are free. That's that's liberation theology mindset. That is collective salvation. That that what they're teaching these kids is no one can have liberation until all people are liberated. And so no justice, no peace, right? Yep. And so you have to make a decision on: Do you believe in individual? individualism, individual salvation, or do you believe in this idea of collective salvation, which honestly, we know human beings, it won't happen. Collect, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get, unless you have the force of a gun and, and, and death is the only time we have collectivism. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what's amazing to me is all you have to do is watch The Walking Dead. Like just start walking from from the very beginning of that series has been going on for over a decade, right? Whatever it is, it's a crazy yep. number of seasons. You know, you watch from the beginning, and you realize as much as you'll ever need to know. You don't even need the zombies. Could be anything. Could be a pandemic. Could be anything. You just realize what reality is, and that a lot of the lessons that our children are being taught are, depart so much from reality that what you're fighting is no less than a a cult of unreality. I mean you're you're fighting people who have decided that that truth and and what is doesn't doesn't exist and doesn't matter. They can imagine the world into being as they want, they can believe the world into being as they want. And it I personally believe that it is genocidal and and like Armageddon-esque. I mean they 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 they're really not that interested in helping or saving anybody if you want another pop culture reference that i kind of thought up recently whether it's perfect or not doesn't matter is it is the upside down trying to break through to the reality from stranger things yes uh-huh it is the upside down and they're they've broken through and they're trying to convert yep. the normal world into what they create in the upside down 
which which they sort of tried to do in the show. I mean, you know, yeah, like right. took over people. And there are lots of things in entertainment and, and literature and there it's all over the place. You know, wrinkle in time, I keep referring to. There's so mm -hmm. many things. And yet here we are. But that's also a reason why, to your point, if we were teaching true history, if we were teaching literature, if we were teaching a lot of these things, we not, might not be at this point. This didn't just start four years ago or two years ago. This has been going for decades. And it started, as you said, they have long-term plans. It started with dismantling the core curriculum of knowledge-based stuff that was Western. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Too many dead white men. Let's get rid of that. And it was just drip, 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 drip to the point what looks like sudden to a lot of parents is not sudden at all. They were assigning Paulo Freire to me in graduate school in 1989. Yep. Equity. Remember, equity is is equal outcomes. That's right. right? Equal it's outcomes. It's a long time. And Freire, and I know, I know we're closing out here. Freire didn't care about literacy first. Nope. He cared about creating a critical consciousness and awareness of their their plight, and that eventually literacy would come. Right. Um, so remember that when we're talking about equity and equal outcomes, because what we're seeing is it's not it's not a raising up. What we're seeing is the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. Right. And remember that if you're smarter than somebody else, you at least you're an have oppressor. The, correct. You have the potential at least to become an oppressor. So we can't have other people being smarter than other. I mean, to the point where teachers, teachers can't be smarter than the students, so to speak. That explains the teachers of TikTok. Right. I mean, not to be glib, but it it, it does. So, Ryan, this is amazing. I mean, just well, such good information. Me. I can't thank you enough for coming here and explaining all this to us. And I know it's a lot, everybody. We probably could keep going for another two hours and try to field questions and everything, but there's so much. And I know that Ryan has to go. Maybe he'll come back after the article comes out and we'll d dive into some sections a little bit more. But this is sort of like a primer. Would you say this is like your, yeah. your sort of like big picture little you know survey course in oh, and what I'm this still, is about i mean you know i just had yeah. to read books on you know because when you do this you're you can't just read their text you have to dig into all the stuff that that influences them so i've got a lot more work to do and there's a lot more of this out there in, in videos and things like that so right yeah, you have to read what they read and yeah and that's i mean that that's what i'm I'm really appreciating about the work that you're doing is you're not just bringing us like, look what I saw, look what I saw. I mean, you're trying to really get inside and learn like where they're coming from, because I think until you understand where these people are coming from, you, I don't think you can effectively fight it. You have to believe them when they tell you who they are. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's like a sports scouting report. You really need to study them and understand what they want to do, why they want to do yep. what they do hundred percent. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming here. Thanks, for those Pam. of you, for those of you who've come, thank you so much. Thank you for the super sticker. And, um, this will, the replay will be available immediately. If you haven't already liked the video or shared the video, please do. If you're not subscribed to the, cha the channel, please consider that. And also consider joining my locals community at the reason we learned at locals.com. The audio version of this podcast will be up on my sub stack later this week. Thank you so much for coming, everybody. Have a great afternoon.